We are starting a, a conversation, a journey through the New Testament book of James. In fact, if you have a copy of the scriptures, whether it's electronic or whether it's paper, turn to the book of James. We are um, going to get right to work. And um, the book of James is uh, its a very practical letter that's written to the church that has been scattered because of difficult times in their lives. And to the scattered church, James is writing, and his message to them is pretty strong. Um, you have got to continue to prove your faith by the way you live, no matter where you are or what happens to you. You have got to continue to prove your faith in Jesus, no matter where you are, no matter what happens to you. Um, a, a timely word for a church walking through challenging times, if you ask me. Uh, so, James chapter 1, and we are going to start at verse number 1. Um, here's what James says. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Now, let me pause really quickly and say it's largely agreed that the James writing this letter is none other than the biological brother of Jesus Christ himself. It was this whole situation, same mom, different dads. It's, it's a whole Christmas story. Don't worry about it uh, right now. But uh, this was also James, who was the senior pastor of that first church in the book of Acts, the church of Jerusalem. That's the guy writing, which, by the way, makes me like him immediately because of all the ways he could have chosen to introduce himself. Did you notice that he chose to introduce himself as a servant? I'm like, I would never do that. If I was writing a book and I wanted people to read it, if I was writing a letter and I wanted to convince people to pay attention to what I was saying, I would at least lead with like senior head pastor bishop of the inaugural church in Jerusalem. And I therefore write to y'all. But no, he says servant. Anyway, Jesus was my bro, bro. <laughs> so um, there's that. Does not bring that up. He chooses to identify himself as servant. The thing I want you to know most about me is I live to do and say what God calls me to. I serve at the pleasure of my king, Jesus, that's what I want y'all to know about me. What's coming next is me simply telling you what I believe he wants me to say to you all. And James wastes no time, dives right into the deep end. Welcome to church. Verse number two. Consider it. Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. 
because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. Of all the ways he could have started this letter, this fun guy, um, he chooses to talk about pain. He chooses to talk about the trials of our lives. How do you respond when you experience pain you did not choose? That's how he starts, which is the question of this text. And therefore the question of the morning. How do you respond? when relational or emotional or, or psychological or, or physical pain you did not choose invades your life. James says, there is a way that Christians should respond to pain. There is a way that Christians should respond to difficulty when it breaks into our worlds, when it invades our lives. And we want to ask, is the response James calls Christians to the way we respond to the pain in our lives? But first, let's make a few observations from what James says about pain. Um... Here's the first thing I noticed. I don't know what you noticed when you read or reread this section of scripture, but the first thing that stood out to me about pain is James seems to suggest that pain is a must. For some of you, that's going to be worth the whole price of admission right there. Pain is a must. Pain is not a maybe. Pain is a must. You may try and avoid it. You may try and numb it. You may try and get around it in any way you want, but you will experience pain you did not choose. It is inevitable. It is unavoidable. Pain is a must. And I just wonder if we can just sit with that for a, a moment. Because again, this is one of those things we can be like, okay, cool, let's move on to the next point. But no, pause for a moment and think about this because the church of Jesus ought to embrace this truth. Pain is an unavoidable must. Okay. Uh, we'll move on. Um, it's, uh, it's a part of our journey and the concern in my life and in the life of the follower of Jesus Christ is we can get to the place where we naively believe that we can somehow get through this journey unscathed. And James starts by saying, oh no, pain is a must. And you notice his language says, whenever you face trials, 
He doesn't say if ever you face trials. It's not a question of if, it's a matter of when because pain is a must. And I'm telling you for somebody, that truth right there is going to settle you in the coming days. Because we can get to the place where we start to believe pain is optional. If you're smart enough, you're rich enough, and you're careful enough, or you're suspicious enough, or you're calculated enough, or you pray enough, you can see it coming and you can get out of its way. But James says, when, not if. And if we don't know this, and if we don't embrace this, we will start to believe the blessed life is the life without pain. We will start to long and live for these seasons where we've eradicated any difficulty or trial in our life and we'll live for those. And if we're not careful, when pain invades our lives, we will feel like something is severely broken in me and we will be shocked, we will be surprised, and many of us will even start to walk away because it wasn't meant to be like this. And James says, pain is a must. It's going to happen. Not because we want it to, but this is the broken world in which we live. Not if, but when. When your body lets you down. Not if, but when. When somebody deeply hurts you. Not if, but when. When you lose someone you love. Not if, but when. When your favorite football team loses. Because for some of us, that's the greatest pain we've experienced. And will again this afternoon. Not if. And if we don't know this again, I think we run the risk of being shocked and discouraged. How do you respond when pain you did not ask for enters your life? Because it will you better know how you will respond because it's going to happen. Uh, the second observation um, from James's words about pain is pain is not just a must. Pain is a test. Pain is a test. Whenever you experience pain you did not choose, and you will, it is always a test. Verse 3, James says, because you know that the testing of your faith. Wait, what testing? The trials. Whenever you experience pain you did not choose, your faith is being tested. When your heart is breaking, when your world is, is collapsing, when the loneliness is screaming, when the loss is sudden, will you still do what you know Jesus says? When it aches like crazy, will you still... 
I know you do what Jesus says when it's comfortable. That's not the test. The test is in the pain. Will you still do what you know Jesus has called you to do when it hurts? It's always a test. Or will you be tempted to make a shortcut out of pain? It's a test. Some of you are walking through painful seasons right now and you need to know nothing strange is necessarily happening and you need to know your faith is being tested and heaven is leaning over wondering how will you, will you stick to what you know Jesus has said even now. Pain is a test. You don't get to decide whether or not you take the pain test, but you do get to decide how you do on it. How will you respond to the pain you did not choose? And James says there is a way to respond to the pain tests. There is a way to respond to trials if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and things are about to get crazy. Don't believe me? Look again at verse 2. Here's what James says. Consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? Whenever you experience pain you did not choose, consider it joy. Hmm? James actually says, no, scratch that. Consider it the richest kind of joy. Aren't you glad you came to church? Woo! <laughs> Man! Just to be clear, James, if I suddenly lose my job, joy, pure joy. If I get an unfavorable diagnosis, pure joy, mm, hang on. If my spouse up and suddenly leaves, pure joy, joy. Hmm. If the undesired party wins the election, pure joy. Hmm. Remote learning, pure joy, 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 joy. <laughs> See, James, you can't go around saying stuff like that. That is why people accuse Christians of being out of touch, naive, oversimplistic, and irrelevant. You can't say stuff like that. He says it anyway. Joy. Whenever you experience pain you did not choose, the Christian response, consider it the richest kind of joy. Just saying, that's crazy. Can we pause for a second and just acknowledge, get out of our churchy selves for a hot second here and acknowledge like, that's crazy. I don't care if it's in the Bible. That's a little crazy. This is not how people respond to pain. And to ask them to respond that way is not just crazy, it's actually a little bit cruel. 
which makes it super important for us to do a little work in the language. Huh? And I don't mean like a deep dive into the Greek language. I just mean the language we just read. Because tell me somebody in the back, how crucial is it that James used the word consider? That is monumental in this passage. Consider it pure joy. That's huge. He does not say experience your pain as joy. Mm -mm. He didn't say feel your pain as joy. He didn't say enjoy your pain as joy. No, he said consider it. Pure joy. He says, whenever you experience pain you did not choose, consider it the richest kind of joy. Consider it. Okay, maybe James isn't as crazy as we thought three or so minutes ago. Um, it's really interesting, by the way, that whenever we experience pain, we consider it something, always. James is not asking us to do something we don't already do. Whenever you experience pain, you always consider it something. Um, usually not something particularly positive, but we usually label our pain something. You stub your toe, you're going to say, ouch, and you will label it, that's inconvenient. You considered it something. When you experience loneliness, you will consider it, mm, I'm going to label that undesirable. You will always label your pain something. Always. Pandemic, mm, I'm going to label that super unsettling. We label our pain. James says, whenever you experience pain you did not ask for, label it joy. Consider it joy. Call it joy. Some of you are still skeptical. I can see you from here. That's impractical. No one ever does that except we do. How do I know? I know because some of you have had multiple children. Am I right? Which means y'all experienced all of the labor stuff. And then you looked at each other and you said, uncle, let's do that again. Why? Because you labeled the labor pain life. You, you called it something. I know this is what we do because some of you go back to the gym multiple times. Like you didn't lift the dumbbell and it hurt your muscles. And you chose to go back. Why? Because you labeled that pain. I'm going to be buff. 
I'm just saying we do this all the time. Some of you left home to go to college. And man, it hurt. Maybe not you as much, but it hurt somebody. Um, but you labeled that separation growth. Some of you discipline your children over and over and it stings when you do, but you do it again because you are labeling that pain shaping. We label our pain all the time. And many times we'll label something incredibly uncomfortable good. It's a crazy thing that we do. Some of you study, <laughs> which is good, study very hard, right? Because you label that mental anguish success. Broke off that toxic relationship and it hurt and you missed it and all the friends in your life gathered around you and helped you to label that decision health. We do it all the time. I'm just saying this concept is not as crazy as we think. And here's how we do it. We're not crazy. Here's the secret. We don't label how the pain feels. We label what the pain produces. It's the only reason you go back to the gym. You are labeling what it's ultimately producing it. What it's producing. That's how we raise our kids. We're labeling what these difficult decisions we're having are ultimately producing. We're not labeling the ouch. We're labeling the outcome. You can't always choose your pain, but you can always choose what you label it. You can always choose what you call it, what you consider it. And James says, for the Christian, whenever you experience pain you did not choose, label it as joy. Not because of how it feels, but because of what it produces. Consider it joy. Verse 3, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let that perseverance finish its work <laughs> that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Which tells us, by the way, that James believes pain is not just a must, it's not just a test, but pain is a means. Pain is a means. It's producing something. In fact, James says, you know that pain is producing something. That's the word he uses. Because you know something is being produced. When you go through it, it will feel entirely meaningless. James says, don't go with how it feels, go with what you know. You don't label it by how it feels, you label it by what you 
No. And he says, you know, it's doing something. It's producing something. It's calling something out of you. It is taking you somewhere. Sometimes all we feel is pain in the muscles, but you know that pain is a means to something else. And I love that James doesn't leave us guessing for very long. He tells us whenever you experience pain you did not choose, it is producing the fullest and most fulfilled version of you. Woo! Uh, but there has to be another way, Lord. It's producing the fullest and most fulfilled version of you. Everything you've dreamed of being and becoming does not even begin to compare to what it is pain is producing in you. It's a means. You haven't even begun to fantasize about the degrees of joy and peace and purpose and impact that God has called you and created you for in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm not speaking on his behalf. Jesus himself said this. I have come that you might have life and have so much of it that your soul can't handle it. It's overflowing. There is life and fullness to which you have been called. And whether you realize it or not, every ounce of your energy is usually exerted into trying to somehow reach the place where you are that person. Where you are the version of you that is most joyful and most fulfilled and most impactful and most purposeful. It's actually what we ultimately want. And so we chase our dreams and we chase our careers and we, we chase relationships. And yet it's powerful what James is saying. There is a complete you, fully activated, deeply fulfilled. James says a complete you that's mature and lacks nothing. You are no longer chasing after anything for fulfillment because you are fulfilled and you are living fully, engaged in the mission to which you've been called by God. I love the way James describes this, mature, lacking nothing. And the thing is, pain is often the uber, the means that helps to get us there. And I'm just asking, if we believed that this was true, just for a moment, let's just, let's pretend we fully believe this. If we believed that this is true, how would you label your pain. 
you would label it as an Uber. You would label it as joy to some degree. You would let's go then. If this is the means to becoming everything God has designed me and called me to be, let's go. You will think of it a little bit differently. You will label it a little bit differently. But in our cultural context, we've actually believed the opposite. The goal is comfort. The goal is to live without any tension in our lives. And so when we experience anything that feels uncomfortable, we label it a spiritual attack. We become victims to some degree or another. But if we believe what James is saying, which is so counterintuitive, countercultural, we will label it differently. Your pain is not meaningless. It's a means. God is always seeking to repurpose it towards your fullness. How should the Christian respond to pain we did not choose? James says, call it joy. Because it's a means moving you towards the fullness. Moving you towards the most fulfilled version of you in the person of Jesus. And then James says, um, he, he kind of gives a, a plea. But you've, you've got to stay the course. You've got to stay the course. Do not jump out of the Uber until it gets you to where you're going. You've got to stay the course because pain is a means to producing something. Unless you bail out of it before it's done working. And I'm telling you, church, our commitment is whenever we experience pain, our instinct is to get out of it as quickly as possible. And James says, do not bail out of it just because it's hard. Stay the course, right? This is that New Year's resolution trend he's talking about. I'm going to get into shape. Yes, I am. I bought my gym membership. Yes, I did. I went to the gym. Mm -hmm. I picked up some dumbbells. I rocked some curls and um, my muscles hurt and I didn't like it at all. And so uh, I tried it again and it happened again and I didn't like it at all. And so um, I quit Dunkin' Donuts. Here I come. Right. And then April comes around and it's spring break time. And I'm looking in the mirror and I am super frustrated because this is not how I hoped to look in the pictures from spring break that I wanted to post on my social media for everyone else to see. And the issue wasn't that <laughs> your workouts in January didn't work. The issue was you quit too soon. Can I just say that to the church? Sometimes we just quit too soon. It wasn't that the pain was useless. It's that you quit too soon. It's not that the marriage wasn't worth fighting for. You quit too soon. It wasn't that it wasn't worth sharing the gospel, even though you were labeled intolerant. You quit too soon. Stay the course, James would say. Stay the course and hear me out. 
Staying the course is not just saying something hurts. I'm going to stick with it and just enjoy pain for the sake of pain. That's masochism. Don't be dumb. That's not staying the course. Staying the course means when you experience pain, you are going to be tempted to start to compromise and disregard and diminish what you know Jesus has said for you to do in that space. If something hurts, don't keep stubbing your toe. That's not the point. But for the church, when we experience pain, we are often going to be tempted to start to take shortcuts out of it. And James would say, no, stay the course. Continue going back to what Jesus has said, even when it is hard. Love your enemy, no matter what the culture calls you for doing it. No matter what people say about your church, because you did it. Stay the course. Stay the course. Fight for your marriage, even when the path is painful. Don't give up your sexual purity, no matter how much pressure and mockery your high school buddies put on you. Stay even in that painful place of being the only one. Stay the course. There is a version of you that you will never get to experience if you bail out anytime something is difficult and you start to take shortcuts away from what it is Jesus has called you to. Come and ask people who are in foster care or the adoption world. They will tell you. It's a painful journey oftentimes. But if Jesus has called us to it, we've got to continue to stay the course. Praise the name of Jesus, even when your body is failing, because he is worthy of it. Obey your parents, even when the rules make you miss out. I think too many of us bail out when it's hard, and we miss what the pain is producing. The question we ought to be asking is not how do I make the pain stop? The question the church ought to be asking is has this pain finished its work in my life yet? James says, we saw that. He said, you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work the question of the church ought not to be how can we rush to comfort it ought to be has the pain finished its work in me yet father are you done yet are we through this yet what an incredible question. And it's a painful question to ask in the midst of pain. Jesus, have I honored you in this place? More than my comfort, I want your honor. And more than getting to comfort, I want to live the life that you've called me to live fully. And James is saying, consider it joy. When you go through trials, it's producing something. 
but you ought to be willing to stay the course and ask the question, Jesus, am I still doing what you've asked me to do in this place? And as this pain finished doing what it came for. And if you have any questions about this, can I point you to the very source of our salvation? Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. I'm so glad he didn't bail out on it partway through because it got difficult. Jesus labeled the cross as joy, not because of how it felt, but because he understood this is an Uber that's taking me somewhere glorious for the joy set before me. This is taking us somewhere. And because of that, we have life because of that we get to gather here because of that we get to talk about fullness let me read one more verse as we close and this is really key i've read this so many times and i felt like james and then why do you just immediately change the topic but this is powerful this is verse five he says if any of you lacks wisdom you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you uh, i actually want to to pray that for us as we head out and i want to pray that particularly for those of you who are walking through painful seasons right now what an amazing thing for James to say. And the reason he talks about wisdom is because if you are committed to honoring Jesus, even in difficult times, there are going to be a lot of questions you don't know the answer to. So do I stay in this painful relationship? Or is there a time when boundaries say it's enough? How do I know when pain has finished its work? I don't know. I know everything in me wants to get out, but I, I, I think I should stay, but I'm not quite sure what to do. God says, I'll give you wisdom. But I don't know which is the destructive kind of pain and which is the pain that is, I don't know, right? And some of us are in that place right now where we're asking, wait, how long should I stay though? If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask. How long do I continue to minister in this friendship for the sake of the gospel? Even when this person has continued to be antagonistic, isn't there a time when I'm released? Ask for wisdom. How do I know what to do and, and, and when to move on and, and when to stay and when not to and, and how to interpret the pain? If we think that this is going to come easily because the church is smart enough to figure it out, James says, oh, you are going to need wisdom. You are going to need the spirit of God to speak and guide you in the midst of all of this. But here's the good news. If your commitment is truly to honor Jesus in the midst of it all and press towards the fullness to which he's called you, he will always give you wisdom. 
But if you're double-minded, who's like, mm, I know what I want to do. And I just need Jesus to rubber stamp it. So Jesus, hey, give me wisdom, AKA, tell me it's okay to bail out. Don't think you're going to get anything from him. But for the person who's saying, that's what I want, there is wisdom in droves and droves and droves. And so even now, Father, as, as we close, I, I pray for those who are even wrestling right now. Because we know that heaven is going to be a place free from pain. We know that you are ultimately going to take us to a place where you eradicate tears and you eradicate hurt and you eradicate wounds and you heal us completely. But yet in this broken world, pain is a part of what we walk through. Trials are going to test our faith. And so we just pray that you would give us incredible wisdom. I do pray for those who are walking through painful journeys. I pray that they would make that known to our Stephen ministers so they can journey along with them. But I pray for an incredible dose of wisdom. You promise to give it. So I pray for anyone who is even now opening their heart to the wisdom you want to give them. That you would speak loudly. You would lead clearly. And Father, I pray that this world would be changed by a church that somehow continues to smile in the midst of painful seasons. Not because we're denying how hard it is, not because we're naive, not because we're faking it, not because we're pretending. But just like Jesus, we are looking at the joy ahead of us. We are looking at your ultimate conquest on the cross. That you ultimately win and you're ultimately moving us towards fullness in Jesus Christ and may the world be drawn to the source of our joy ultimately who is Jesus himself it's in his name that we pray all of this amen